0: Hello, hello, hello. My name is Adam
1: Jabber. This is the Out of Bounds podcast, and this is take two. Two. Um, we have a great episode today with Caroline Gleick. We talk about everything from advocacy to POW, protect our winters. Uh, we talk about a recent trip up G2, a lot of vomiting. Uh, what else did we talk about? Talked about the Mountain Gazette article for a minute now at some point. Um, and we talked about. Well, we talked about all kinds of stuff. I really enjoyed catching up with Caroline. I haven't talked to her in a couple years, and uh, I have no idea how she stays so positive. I also have no idea why she saves screenshots of negative comments for months at a time. I will never understand that, but she does, and I guess you can hear why. Um, Before we jump into the episode, we have a few things going on that are worth mentioning. Uh, First of all, subscribe to the newsletter because there's important things that go out all the time, uh, like this week told you about this sock situation um that i'm going to tell you more about in a minute um what else did i talk about adam x's wonderful episode with andrew alexander king uh there's all kinds of stuff we got a new show potentially dropping in the fall little little teaser it's a good one it's a secret it's a it's a it's a big one um and then we got a gear guide. Gear guides coming up, it's dropping in October is the plan at the moment. Uh, it is wonderful. It has nine contributors, eight contributors, something like that. Uh, and some of the most fun names in skiing. I mean, it's great. I'm I'm like thoroughly enjoying the print process. And who knows, maybe we'll become a print product from now on after we've talked about it so much. Just kidding. We probably won't become a print product. That sounds like a lot of work, but we are for the gear guide, so. Uh, keep in touch. That It'll be the best gear guide that comes out this year, point blank. Uh, I don't care what other gear guide comes out. I don't care if it's outside or gear patrol or if somebody resurrects something and makes another, Like I don't care. It's going to be the best gear guide that comes out this year, point blank. I'm calling it now. Everybody else, what's up? Um, Leave a review on iTunes, leave a review on Spotify. Those are important things. And now we get into the more important the most important things, and that is uh, paying our bills. First, we have Darn Tough. The number one thing that I'm going to tell you about Darn Tough is that at this juncture, when you listen to this episode, I will be 11 days in to wearing the same pairs pair of socks. Um, I'm going for 55 days in a row, same pair of socks, not washing them uh, a single time, doing an activity every day, and we we're just we're just running with this thing. The goal is to raise money for the High Fives Foundation, um, which supports disabled athletes. Um, I'm like I'm psyched to be doing this. It's, yeah, I'm I'm like thrilled. It's it's I'm not psyched about wearing the socks for that long, but I'm thrilled we get to help out an awesome organization like High Fives, uh, and hopefully in a pretty substantial way. So, uh, by day eleven, we need to raise hundred and ten dollars for the day. So be sure to donate if you're listening on day eleven. Day twelve is $120 for the day. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. At the end of this thing, we're gonna need some some of you with deeper pockets to come help us out. So um keep that in mind. Also, support darn tough. I mean, they make the best socks in the world. If I'm gonna wear them for fifty-five fucking days in a row, like you can buy like trust that these are the socks that you can keep uh, we'll have a bunch of giveaways coming out with them soon. Uh, you'll have an opportunity for a bunch of free socks as well as a bunch of other free gear. We have a lot of great partners that have signed on for this, uh, project that we were doing. Um, I can tell you right now, my feet are sweating. Um, uh, they're warm cause I just went for a bike ride and, uh, at least they don't smell I mean, we're a few days in and my feet don't smell. So I think that's a good thing. It's a good sign. It's good. It actually bodes well for skiers out there. Like same pair of ski socks. We all know we probably recycle them a couple more days in a row than we then we should. I'm just saying like, I know like, you know, it's like, an if you know, you know, I know Um, for, uh, pfft, we got another sponsor for today. Ethan's slow on the draw here. He's asleep in the office as usual. And he closed the ad. What is going on with this man? Ugh, I'm just working with a bunch of amateurs around here. Um, Sierra Nevada is a sponsor of the out of bounds podcast. They've been a great partner of ours, and I cannot wait for more of you to get your hands on the new Hop Splash. Uh, it is their non-alcoholic product. I have it right here, and it's wonderful. Um, it is a hop-infused sparkling water, and it tastes so good. It tastes so good, like it's it's actually ridiculous. You get one of these cold, and let me tell you, it's special. It's great. It. it Hop infused seltzer, I know, is not what you guys are thinking. Like, eh, it's, eh, like, it's great. Like, I promise. No bullshit. It's great. Um, They also have liquid hoppiness, uh, which is a juicy IPA that is new for them. They have a whole bunch of new products coming out all the time. Just go to your local beverage store. Pick up a Sierra Nevada. And please enjoy responsibly. Must be 21 or older to enjoy this product. Um, except for the non-alcoholic one. That one. I don't know about children but, you know, not 21-year-olds can drink this one. So, um and people who don't drink, like Sierra Nevada, they support you. And and the product's good. It's not just like a non-alcoholic beer that tastes like garbage. Um anyway, that's that. On to our episode with Caroline Glyke. I hope you guys enjoy it. Once again, please leave a review on iTunes. I'm sorry this intro is very rambly, but I'm in a mood. I rode my bike. I'm having a great day. Feet are wet and, you know, socks. Cool talk to you soon
0: i'm caroline Glyke. i'm a professional ski mountaineer and activist i live in park city utah i'm originally from minnesota and yeah that's about it <laughs>
1: that's it in a nutshell uh there's a lot more yeah. to you for sure than just that um let's talk about one of the things that i think we should talk about right off the rip which is working with pow uh, protect our winters what that's been like what your experiences with pal i have mario molina on next week and i think just having more conversations about the goal of protect our winters genuinely is really important because i think people get a very surface level view of what they do and what what they're all about just from social media and just like random donate now posts so if you don't mind i'd kind of like you to elaborate what you do as an athlete as a POW ambassador like what what that looks like on your end
0: yeah yeah um i mean i've been an activist for a lot of my adult life and pow is one of the organizations that i work with as a climate activist and clean air activist and advocate for gender equality and all these other things and so they've been really fun to work with um i just finished serving a year as the i was elected as the first ever ski team captain So I oversaw a team of I think we had 70 skiers and it was like my job to kind of, you know, reach out to them and make sure try to encourage participation and help with messaging and different strategic campaigns that we were doing. And um, it was a huge honor to be elected by my peers into that position And so that was super cool because I got to interact with the whole team. And yeah, I mean, I've worked with POW since 2011. I was one of the first part, I was one of the first athletes that was part of, it used to be called the Riders Alliance. Mm -hmm. And now it's just the Alliance because it's expanded to encompass so many more athletes like runners and cyclists, bikers. And um, I think it's a really powerful way to influence climate policy is through the lens of snow sports and through the outdoors. And so I've had the opportunity to go to D.C. with POW six times. And with them, I testified to the Senate about the impacts of climate change on snow and mountaineering. So I've done a lot of stuff with POW over the years.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. So what, so what does that look like in terms of actually doing things with POW, right? Like in, in terms of actually getting policies passed making real change right because i think so much of what pow does is the awareness of you know that the climate is changing and that it's important and that people should know of it but like i think we're at the point now where people are fully aware that climate change is a real thing there's plenty of idiots out in the world that are not aware but ignoring the whatever percentage of morons that exist in the world i, I feel like people kind of get the point right now and the people that want to get it get it what what In your mind, what's the next step for an organization like POW and you as a as an activist?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And one of the things that I've learned about working on policy at the in 2010, I did a political internship for the governor of Utah's environmental advisor. So I've been working on energy and climate and clean air policy for a long time. And one of the things I've learned specifically about working on federal policy is that it takes a really long time to see the changes that we're trying to create. And so for something like the Inflation Reduction Act that just passed in the Senate, I mean, that's something we've been working on for two years. I mean, even before that, like I helped run this big Biden-Harris for the Outdoors endorsement campaign because... We had to work hard to elect a climate champion. And so I think it's sometimes hard to see like those immediate returns. You can see a lot faster change working on local policy, you know, even working in your neighborhood or your city or county level, like you can make change happen a little faster there. But the stuff that we've been working on with POW at the federal level, the relationship building and meeting with senators and representatives, like that stuff just takes a long time. And it's really just like a lot of networking in life. It's relationship building. Yeah. So like one of the cool things that I helped lead and initiate last winter is we did a ski day with Senator Martin Heinrich from New Mexico. So me and um, and a couple other athletes we joined him for a ski day in taos and we talked about electrification and renewable energy and like he's been a huge champion for climate policy at the federal level and so he texted me just like we've been communicating the last week as things were really heating up with the inflation reduction act and he's like make sure you send a note to everyone at pow like thanks for all your hard work and getting this done
1: That's awesome. That's got to be really good. Like, that's got to feel really good to get that kind of note from somebody like that.
0: Yeah, it's super cool. And, like, he did an Instagram live with me. It was super last minute. But, you know, having that kind of relationship and having someone like that elected in the Senate is amazing. And so what we're really working to do is to get a lot more people like Senator Heinrich, elected and setting up more of these ski days and building these relationships it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of different angles and so i can speak to what i do what i've done with pow over the years but now pow has like grown to become such a big organization that they're working on a lot of more complex things and so i can't speak to like the whole depth of what they're working on because it's it's grown immensely which is great
1: yeah yeah for sure and I I think they're great go ahead
0: I was just going to say like that there's a place for I think POWs become really big and that's great they have more power they have more ability to like boost ads and do more things and I also think there's a huge power in like the scrappy grassroots environmental nonprofit in Mm -hmm. your backyard and so I think people who are really committed should look at working with both you know if they can yeah yeah, and yeah, honestly, don't, uh, I, th- go, I think
1: that, like, that grassroots campaign, I think that almost makes a bigger difference for, like, bang for your buck-wise, I think that that makes a bigger difference for what a lot of people can do in their day-to-day lives, right, working with an organization that impacts their community, because person-to-person, it's really hard to make a, a substantial impact, right? If I just go and I ride my bike to work once a week, I'm really, like, I'm kidding myself if I think I'm changing the world, right? That's... Mm-hmm. However, working within your community and working with grassroots organizations like that, I think you can actually make a bigger impact with your time and with your dollar, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you have a chance. I mean, through the, there's an, a local nonprofit in Utah called Heal Utah, mm-hmm. and I've worked with them for over a decade, and they, gave me like lobby training on how to show up and craft a statement and speak to your elected officials at a public meeting. So it's like POW, I've done a lot of stuff with POW, but also I've worked a lot on the local level with these grassroots environmental nonprofits and they helped make me into the activist and person I am today with those trainings and all. Like it's a building thing. Like it's not like you, I mean some people go to DC for their first time speaking to their elected officials but a lot of people go to their city hall or to their state capital and that stuff is super important and impactful
1: yeah and one of the and it's th- so gratifying too yeah and one of the most important things that you talk about is that growth right and not necessarily being a perfect climate activist right or a perfect champion or a perfect activist for anything really right like no no human is perfect in every way but trying our best is kind of important, right?
0: Well, what does the perfect activist even look like? Is it someone who just lives in a hole off the grid <laughs> and never does anything or like right. to get even darker, it's like it makes you go down a line of thinking like I struggled a lot with like depression and mental health issues and so content warning, I'm about to talk about that. Um and if you go down a certain line of thinking, it's like maybe the world would be better off without me like it can make you have thoughts of like ending your own life if you go down that because like someone who's dead has no carbon footprint because anything you do being a human living like a living breathing human on this planet you're going to have some kind of impact on the environment and so I try to do things that give me hope and joy and that give me energy for the you know for the fights like for the activism that I do and Mm. one thing I don't think we talk about enough in the you know when we talk about carbon footprints and when we talk about these different cost benefit analyses is like where does joy factor in Mm. because I think that the most powerful activism comes from a place of joy and happiness Mm. I think that's what will truly change the world so Like we have to factor in joy and happiness into like our decision making rationale and like the cost benefit of doing this or that. Like what gives your life purpose and meaning and how can you use that as motivation for your advocacy?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's got to be a difficult thing to actually act on and feel consistently given, especially when you have a platform like yours or anybody with a platform, right? Where you're constantly being fed from this machine that like I don't know, you almost hold on to the negativity that people swing your way all the time more than you, like people can be like, oh, you're great, you're great, you're great, a hundred times, and that one comment where somebody's like, you're a piece of shit sticks with you more than anything else. It's crazy, so it's gotta be hard to, to actually like hold on to that happiness in real life when a lot of the advocacy that happens in the world is on the internet, right? Because that's where you have the biggest reach total that you possibly can have is on this little fucking box on your phone.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a hard thing to do for sure. And I don't necessarily think that my skin has gotten thicker. You know, I used to think, oh, I need to toughen up. Like, I need thicker skin. But um, I think what I've learned is that I'm more focused on my purpose Mm. of being here and, like, what I'm doing. And it's a lot easier than to sort of like ignore the noise and realize also that what people are saying has nothing to do with you and it's a hundred percent about them. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a hard
1: one to stick to for sure.
0: (laughs) It's super hard and I'm not like always the best at it. And honestly, sometimes the things that people say get me really down. And sometimes I do think that it makes me censor censor myself. Like there's a lot of things that I would like to speak up about that I don't because I'm afraid of the comments frankly like I live in deep fear of the comments <laughs> but you know like sometimes I'll just if I don't have the energy or the emotional bandwidth like I sometimes will just disable commenting for a few hours or yeah. you know like sometimes you have to do that stuff oh, I to just protect blocked yourself. The shit
1: out of people like I'm so rapid fire block lately I think
0: I'm really rapid fire block <laughs> lately too
1: it's just there's so many idiots about everything. Like, people have a problem with everything. It's it's so crazy. There's no ability to just be like, this is positive. Let's be positive for a minute.
0: It makes me really sad because I think that there's a lot of people that are really unhappy in their lives. And they're living this life of, like, quiet resentment. And when they see somebody who's, like, happy and doing something that they kind of wanted to do, they get really angry and lash out. And so... I try to like meditate on compassion and empathy and hope and healing for them sometimes. And sometimes I'll be like, I'll be like, Hey, what's really going on here? Like, is there something you need to talk about if someone's really angry? (laughs) Like sometimes I'll just respond with like crazy things because uh, there's a lot of sad people and that makes me sad.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. Let's, let's shift off (laughs) of some of this stuff for a minute here. Um, Because I know, like, and and we talked a few years ago, and one of the things we talked about was, like, somebody harassing you. There was a whole film that got made about, like, this dude calling you over and over again and how you kind of persevered through that, right? Like,
0: That's not what the film was about. I know. I know, (laughs) but, like,
1: that's, like, that's how it starts, right? Like, that's
0: how the whole
1: premise opens, right? It's not what it's about, right? I feel like it's, and and I haven't watched it in three years, so, like, keep that in mind.
0: I know and the film is like it's you know it came out five years ago follow through um so it's not like that current but it was really powerful to use the actual voicemail that I received as the opening for the for the film yeah and that's what so
1: that's obviously what stuck with me so I guess more I'm (laughs) giving you props because it's been a long time of dealing with this shit
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I had my first... No, I know I had my first cyber harassment in 2009. So it's been going on for a really long time. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. skin definitely gets thicker.
0: I don't think so. Like, I'm still really sensitive. I'm still (laughs) a huge baby. Like, it hurts all the time. I think I have better strategies of coping now.
1: Is that all it is? Like, that's... that's,
0: Yeah, because the wrong thing to do is to, like... Toughen up and like build a wall around yourself to the world. I mean great leaders and strong people are able to be vulnerable and my softness and my emotional capacity is like one of my strengths and I don't want to lose that because people are cruel like I want to retain that empathy and that ability for deep feeling but it's important to have you know it's like training right like every time you go to high altitude. Well, actually, that's not a good analogy. (laughs) It doesn't get easier. It's like training, right? Every, like, your ability for a certain kind of athletic performance builds over time if you keep practicing. And I think it's just like that. You create more tools for resiliency.
1: Yeah. The threshold grows in a sense.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: I, yeah, I'm the opposite of you. Like, I, I very much, as soon as it becomes a thing, like, I just roast people, I come at people, I do not, like, I, I don't I am sensitive for sure like I have that vulnerable side but like if somebody's just coming at me for things for no reason I fry people like and it's and I get enjoyment out of it because it makes me feel better and it's it's stupid but I have a good time with it sometimes because it, it actually releases for that stress for me if I don't respond and I just let someone be an idiot it actually bothers me significantly more
0: yeah sometimes it takes me like a couple of weeks or months to respond Cause it'll just what? like stew in my head. Yeah, like I don't like to do the knee jerk. I like to think about it, and then uh, I hate to say this, but some of my best work comes from responding like after stewing on it for a few months.
1: Oh, uh, that's yeah, that's good. I I would have never. I have no control. I I should work on that. This is a good. Uh, this is a good lesson for me. I think. Um.
0: Yeah, I do. So I like screenshot and save all the stuff before I delete and block. And so what? I have a full oh yeah like I like to have a record of it because that was what allowed me to figure out that my cyber stalker the guy who called me was like creating all these social like he was creating a bunch of different accounts yeah and so it actually was a very clarifying moment for me realizing that it was the same person doing all of them rather than like 20 different people yeah wow that's really interesting so yeah I screenshot them all and then Yeah, I think sometimes there's a lot of lessons we can learn from kind of deconstructing those the way that people attack other people online.
1: Yeah. And I it's funny that you do that with comments and that kind of shit. I I do that when people like screw me over in real life. Like I it's funny, I learned this from somebody else in the ski industry that is very well known for doing this kind of thing. I have a folder on my desktop and it's just like shit people did and I just like keep the receipts and I keep it on this little folder on my desktop and just hold on to it just in case anything ever comes <laughs> up like so that kind of shit like I hold on to for sure but I don't know comments and stuff I just yeah rapid fire block
0: yeah wait I had a quick random question are you recording because I didn't get the notification on zoom that it's recording yeah we're recording okay cool I just wanted to make sure yeah, we're good. okay that would have been and mine's recording crazy. on my side as well yeah, so we would have lost a lot of yeah. if we did not um, yeah. yeah
1: we did like the a little check beforehand so we'll cut and we'll start where like the start button is and we'll start okay and we'll probably- <laughs> cool
0: sorry about that <laughs> I was like <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah 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 just like a minute of freak out um yeah okay so recently you've had a couple expeditions you've had a couple travels so tell me a little bit about g2 tell me a little bit about what you've been up to lately like it just seems like every time I look at your page I'm like holy fuck she's somewhere else
0: Yes, I've been putting a lot of pressure on myself this year to go to a lot of places that I've been dreaming of and I mean, my partner and I, we always talk about like if we're going to have kids so I do kind of feel a little bit of pressure there if we do have a kid that I need to do a lot of stuff now which is like maybe I put too much pressure on myself with that because it's been kind of (laughs) stressful to get it all done. I can't even imagine. So we just got back from Pakistan where we were trying to climb and ski Gasherbrum 2, which is the 13th highest peak in the world. It is located in the Karakoram mountain range, which is like part of the Himalayas, but it's pretty far from Everest and Choyu. Um, and I've always wanted to go to the Karakoram, I think, for since I first saw pictures of it at a slideshow 10 years ago. And it's one of those things I've been sort of keeping tabs on the geopolitical situation there over the last decade to you know it's like kind of a scary place to go as a american woman as an american and then as a woman and so it seems like pakistan is in a pretty like it's a little bit more stable and safe now than it's been so yeah it seemed like it was a good time to go
1: yeah certainly is a little more stable than it has been in the past
0: yeah and um so so how did it go? Um <laughs> it it we were feeling great until it's like a 60 mile trek in along the Baltoro Glacier and so Pakistan and the, the Karakoram mountain range some people call it the third pole because it has Massive glaciation. It's like one of the most glaciated parts of the world outside of the Arctic and Antarctic. Mm-hmm. So it's like known for having this, like the Baltoro is the glacier that we hiked along to get to Gasherbrum Base Camp, and it's over 50 miles long. So um, seeing the Karakoram and seeing like the Trango Towers and K2 and like just being there was incredible. And everyone I talked to about the trip Like I talked to Ingrid Backstrom Who tried to go ski it in 2008 And I talked to a few other folks Who have been to get the Care Quorum And everyone was like You're gonna get Like the, everyone has gotten really sick With like GI bugs Really? Oh yeah Like it's a really hard place to stay healthy I mean I read a lot about it I was like what is it in the water here That like makes us so sick And I learned that over 50,000 children Die a year of diarrhea
1: what
0: yeah and also pakistan is the fifth most populous country in the world yeah Yeah. like we think of pakistan i mean i thought of it as like sort of small and i didn't think that it was so populous but yeah yeah there's a shit ton
1: of people in pakistan like there's a ton
0: there's a ton and the water is really polluted unfortunately (laughs) like it's really sad Yeah, so anyway, everything was going great and my partner and I were really super cautious about like our food and water and about COVID stuff and everything and we were feeling great and it's like like a five to seven day trek to base camp and the whole way, like we just had relentless heat. Like it was 105 degrees. It was so brutal. And then about day, I think it was day six of the trek in we're getting to like 15,000 feet. We're pretty high. Like we have our first views of K2 and like eight hours into, it was like a 13 mile day hiking. And at 10 miles, I just like felt really hot. I felt like I was going to faint. And then I started throwing up Mm. and I threw up like 30 times and it was so bad. And I had like with it, this really intense dizziness and like this feeling like I was going to faint. So I couldn't walk. And our team was already at the next camp, which was three miles ahead. And like, I would walk for like 10 minutes and then I'd have to lie down because I felt like I would fall and faint and then I'd start throwing up. Mm -hmm. And I just like was so dehydrated and so faint and dizzy. I couldn't walk. And I ended up having to be carried to the next camp by our Porter team. Oh, shit. And then I spent like a day at that camp just sleeping the whole day. And then the next day I walked to base camp seven miles and I was like super sick and I didn't eat anything. And then we got to base camp and I started to get a bit better. And then Rob got super sick. And so Rob had like this GI thing and then we both got really gnarly upper respiratory infections like sinus infections. And we couldn't like... Get higher on the mountain to acclimatize. Like we had good weather, but we were both so sick. Like we could hardly get out of the tent, and Rob was like barely able to make it to the toilet in time, and he was like taking the antibiotics and taking Imodium every time. I think he took like twenty Imodiums. Holy shit. <laughs> like it was really bad. Like, and Rob and I like we've been sick on big mountains, and we've spent a lot of time in tents and storms, and so like. This was different. It was, like, much worse. It was so miserable. So we're at almost 17,000 feet at base camp, and the weather's nice. And so our team, the rest of our team, like, we were sharing the logistics with this other, with Alpenglow, with, like, their climbing team. And then Rob and I were, like, self-guided. And so the rest of the team went up and acclimatized and spent some nights at 20,000 feet and 21,000 feet higher on the mountain. And then they came back down. But Rob and I were so sick, we weren't able to get higher on the mountain. And then it was forecasted that there was going to be a week of bad weather and then it was going to clear up again. Mm -hmm. And so just like we were thinking about the time plan with our logistics and that we would have to like extend our trip because we'd have to wait for the bad weather to go up higher to acclimatize we'd have to do a, a acclimatization rotation then come back down and then we'd have to go for the summit and so we were looking at having to extend the trip by like three weeks or like extend it an extra week but it was going to be like three more weeks at base camp oh. and higher and we were just like so miserable so we decided just to pull the plug and we never even got to see the mountain because you have to go to camp one to see g2 oh.
1: Hi there. I am interrupting my own conversation with Caroline Glyck to bring you two wonderful sponsors. Please listen to these ads because they get us paid and they're getting you deals. Especially in this first scenario, saving twenty-five percent off. So listen to the freaking ad. Um Mammoot wants to give you twenty-five percent off on anything on their website, including the best beacon known to mankind, which is the Berry Vox. Berry Box and Berry Vox X S are uh point blank, the best beacon out there. Ask anyone you know. That's the beacon to get. If you go to any shop and they tell you a beacon different than that one, they're wrong. Okay. There's a couple other good ones out there, but I'll tell you who's not doing recalls every three fucking days. Memo and the berry box. So uh also avalanche packs or avalanche bags, um, airbags, some would say. Um, berry box packages, which have a shovel, a probe, and a berry box at the great deal of four seventy nine. Uh, minus 25%. If you use promo code out of bounds 25, capital O Capital O Capital B. That's the key there. Okay. That's the part that Ethan screwed up. Capital O, capital O, capital B for 25% off at mammoo.com. Please use it. Get yourself a deal and be safe in the backcountry this year, please. Anyway, on to our second sponsor of the day. Fisker's keys. Just kidding. They're called Fisher. <laughs> i broke ethan i broke ethan for the first time um they make they make the best skis i mean point blank like we know this i've been talking about fisher for a long long time they've been a wonderful supporter of the show they have the best kids boot on planet earth okay i'm holding this if you're looking at the youtube and you're like oh what is this boot that he's talking about we actually did a review on it that is really good and it's out now so uh check that out but this boot freaking sick. If you have a kid and they got small feet and they're like a kid kid still, this boot is going to change their skiing for the rest of their life and it's going to change your experience because they can actually put it on their foot and it's comfortable and yeah, buy this boot. It's really good. If your ski shop's not carrying it, tell them to carry it. Okay? Um they also have a brand new Ranger line. We'll talk about that as we get closer to ski season where like you guys start buying more skis, but uh let me tell you, Ranger 96 is going to be in the gear guide. It's a phenomenal ski. Mango Mania is coming back. It's or it's a thing, rather. Mango Mania, Pinky Gank dead. Mango Mania is here. Okay. Also, one, 109 for the little one, right? Wasn't it one oh nine? Go back. Or is it one sixty nine? No, it says one oh. It says one, Oh, that's in fucking foreign. Um. Okay. Anyway, one sixty nine. Whatever. It's a great deal. Buy this boot. Um, Ranger series mango. What did I call it? Mango Mania? Mango Mania is out now. Go check that out. I also am really a big fan of the khaki-colored Ranger 108. Ranger 108. Um, great ski. Big fan. New Ranger line. Go check it out. FisherSports.com. And we are back to our conversation with Caroline Cleck. Thank you. How, how disappointing is that? <laughs> Obviously, it's very disappointing. So I'm not looking for like a one-word answer here. But how do you how do you cope with that how do you just accept the fact that it is what it is and move on
0: yeah i mean this trip made me really nervous because the karakoram is so the, the mountains are so steep and base camp it is so remote like you feel like you're more remote than i felt in antarctica i don't know why that is maybe it's just the foreignness of the culture and the food and there's like that cultural challenge as well um But I think that Rob and I have both spent enough time in the mountains to know that like when our intuition is saying no, that it's important to listen. And even though we spent a ton of time and money and energy getting there, that the mountain will always be there and we can go back as long as we're alive. So, yeah. So I mean like the best shots of the trip are just me puking in front of K2. I'm so Like I I So like When we left It was clear That it was the right thing to do But then when I got home Like a week or two I felt really depressed about it And yeah. I felt like Really upset And I, Oh the hardest part Was like Seeing that the weather cleared And it was like An epic Yeah window and like seeing people's success on all of the peaks in the Karakoram like the Karakoram is home to five of the world's 8,000 meter peaks you know so five of the world's tallest peaks are there and after the bad weather it was just like this epic super long good weather window where tons of people summited all the peaks and so that week was really hard for me. Because I just was really, like, replaying everything in, like, a bad spiral of anxiety in my mind. Thinking, like, the shoulda, woulda, coulda. But um, we can go back. And I don't think Rob will go back. But I will definitely go back someday.
1: (laughs) Rob's over (laughs) it. Okay. Rob did not have FOMO from going home early.
0: Rob is, like, the most stoked person ever. (laughs) And he was so over it. And we were just, like, laying there in misery. Like, in so much pain. And we are like, what are we doing? Like, we, we, we were really questioning our summer vacation decisions.
1: <laughs> it's funny that this is a vacation for you. Like, this is the type of things you choose to vacation. I, like. Well,
0: I, I spent a lot of my own money on the trip. Like, I paid for it 100% out of pocket. Like, I didn't get any sponsor money for it. I Partly, like, I'm glad I didn't because I didn't <laughs> want any more pressure. Like, yeah. I feel enough pressure from myself and from like who I am and what I've accomplished. And so anyway, so I think in a way that was good, but yeah, it was a real questionable choice of vacation. <laughs> yeah,
1: for, for sure. Um, on on that topic, kind of, what people ask a lot and people ask me a lot for some reason, <clears throat> how to kind of like figure out how to make money in skiing specifically, right? I think you're a great example of somebody who has made a career that's been long lasting and been at least able to survive and thrive and 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 make enough to kind of stay within the industry forever. Where in a lot of cases you see people kind of go away from the industry because it's just financially doesn't make any fucking sense, right? So, how how have you made it so far? How do you provide value to your sponsors and can in your mind, can you make it with just money from skiing?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I was really lucky when I started my career, um, my parents linked me up with Kristen Ulmer, who was like one of the pioneers of women's free skiing to give me some business mentorship. And so she really taught me, it's like, it's not about you and your resume or like what flips you can do or what mountains you've climbed. It's about like the value you can provide to brands. And so that was really important to help set me up for success and to think about different creative ideas on how I could be an asset and helpful to brands. And I think it's one of those things that's constantly evolving where it's just building and maintaining relationships and having those conversations and starting with like, how are you guys doing? Like, what can I do to help and support your goals rather than like, here's what I'm doing. Like, here's what I need. Um, And so I try to listen a lot and, to spend time like nurturing and cultivating those relationships. And now the brands that I work for, they're like family. I mean, Lakey, I've been a sponsored athlete for them for 12 years in Patagonia, 11 years. And yeah, they're like family.
1: Yeah. How, how do you make it work? I guess with ski sponsors, right? Because that's one that I've noticed over the years that you've switched a few times. So how, How do you get them to pay you what you're worth, I guess, is my question, because that's the one that I feel like they should be shelling out the big bucks for every athlete that they decide to bring onto their roster, but they never do. And we know they never do, right?
0: Ski sponsors are really hard. Um, I mean, I don't think there's a lot of money in hard goods, for one.
1: Uh, I don't know. Is there,
0: are ski companies like, I don't know. I don't know their ski numbers. Ski like, don't
1: pay, but there's definitely a lot of sales. Ha- I mean, yes, are they are things more expensive to manufacture? For sure. But I can tell you like on the retail side of things, yeah, there's a lot of big money getting thrown around to these brands.
0: I mean, it's been a real challenge for me to find a brand that offers like the suite of skis that I'm looking for from like a tiny little ski racing ski to like a big Powder ski that goes to my size mm. and then like a brand that supports touring like there's not a lot of brands that are as focused on the uphill experience, you know um so and as my career has evolved, like my needs and wants have also evolved, and I'm really picky when it comes to hard goods, especially boots, mm. and I like to pick the best boots for whatever I'm doing, and there's not like one brand that offers. whole suite of boots that would work for all my expeditions and training so so like for me I looked for a ski sponsor that just makes skis and so it's been really cool to work with Elan over the last couple years and I feel like they've also listened to like I was like you guys have to bring a ski mo race ski and they brought it back and I helped test the first prototypes of it and then it's like coming to market in Europe this winter. So that's been cool. But no, like, I don't know. I don't make a lot of my income from a ski sponsor. It's a small part of it. And I don't know how people... If you wanted to, I guess it's like, I think you have to go with like the head-to-toe brands too that do soft goods and yeah. I don't know. It's a hard question. Like there's definitely, for me, a bigger... like. There's a good for me, I like to have more of a diversified brand portfolio of like who I'm getting support from. So if one brand decides to cut all their athletes, then I don't lose my entire income.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's really smart. And I always, I always question that with brands that do make everything. It's like, is that a smart business decision to go? I mean, yes, if the money's right, fuck it, right? Like just send it and do everything. If the money's like big enough, do it because it can work out for you. But I, I have that same thought often where, I think diversifying to a certain point without as long as you don't have to sell your soul too much. Mm-hmm. I think a little bit of soul selling is okay every once in a while because everybody <laughs> needs to get fed. But yes. It's uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting topic. And and I don't like I don't want to shit on ski companies and Ben Fresco is a new friend of mine and I don't want to like Ben's probably listening to this like pulling his lack of hair out. Um just <laughs> <laughs> on me saying that, you know, ski companies don't pay enough money, but it's it's interesting. It's it's just been always a very strange thing to me because the money in skiing comes from outside of skiing.
0: Yeah, like I haven't the re- like when I've switched to sponsors in the past, it's not because I wanted to. Like usually it's yeah. because I was fired. I don't know if I can say <laughs> that. I should like double check my contracts. Or like I had one brand who just decided they weren't going to pay me my salary that was like in my contract Oof. and I had to hire a lawyer and it took 2 years.
1: And then you get my for a-
0: retainer payment, which was like a really small payment. Yeah, like we're not talking about <laughs> very much money here.
1: Yeah, that's insane to me that people just don't pay. Like, that that's a thing that happens, I think, only not only in skiing, but it happens a lot more often in skiing because they're just like, Oh, we had a bad year, it didn't snow. Like, yeah, or like we're paid. going
0: in a different direction, so like. We're not gonna, or they told me my contract was never countersigned by their CEO, and we were in year two of a three year contract. So they paid me for the first year. And so it was ridiculous. Like, it was such a fight. And honestly, like, I just try. To keep my head up and not get too bummed and not complain too much because i'm afraid i'll get fired
1: <laughs> oh my god you're probably making people nervous you're making me nervous ethan can you go check that the ceos have all signed our contracts for the show so we...
0: no there's a thing that like if they act like the contract is 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 um like uh, if you do the contract work and they act like it's valid then you are protected legally okay i talked to a lawyer about it yeah <laughs> Okay. But definitely like working with a lawyer, um like I don't have an agent, but I definitely hire a lawyer now to help me with things more and that's been really helpful.
1: Have you considered an agent? I guess at this point in your career you're well known enough that you don't necessarily need one, but
0: I would love an agent. I just haven't found someone who to work with. So if there's any like ski sports agents out there that want to work with me, I'd love to chat. Tom,
1: Tom Yaps, <laughs> I keep trying I keep plugging Tom Yaps just so that he'll let me have Eileen on the show, but <laughs> That's the only Oh yeah. That's the only uh that's the only one that I know of that I guess Pettit's age I forget what his name is, superheroes management or whatever. There's a few good ones out there.
0: Yeah, I'd love to connect with them. Yeah. Um I'm not sure if I make enough money for them. So <laughs> we'd have to see. I
1: think if they're representing skiers, you're probably doing okay and they're aware of what people make and I think their goal is to probably fix that problem.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard. I mean, like my dream has always been to be doing this until I'm like 80 or a hundred. So it's not what? like, <laughs> I, yeah, that's what I want to do. Like I want to be a mountaineer and a ski mountaineer. Like I want to do it for life. You know, I see yeah. people like high altitude stuff. You get better with age for sure. Okay. And so my dream is not to like retire and start a new career. But I think that I will have a lot of work cut out for me ahead, like challenging ageism yeah. in skiing. <laughs> When I'm like an old gray, when I'm an old woman, like I want to do this forever. That's always been my dream. Like there's not another plan. This is my plan. This is my career.
1: You're one of the few people that have come on here and said that. Like everybody else is like, ah, oh, here's my backup plan. I guess yeah. Ian McIntosh was like, I'm gonna guide. Like, but and that's close enough. But it's uh, that's really interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's people always ask me like, oh, what's gonna be your real job, or like, what are you gonna do when you have kids? And it's like. I really despise those questions. I <laughs> I really do. <laughs> I mean, they're fair. Like you can always ask, but I I I don't think it's fair 100% because I want to create like a model for myself and for other people that have like dreams of mountaineering where it's like a deep lifelong commitment to the mountains. It's not just something you do when you're young.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. This is the last thing I kind of want to ask you about. Uh, activism wise uh, do you how do you decide what you're going to be an activist about right like and I know the easy answer is like I care this is something I really care about it personally like I'm attached to it personally but like I always feel like you personally and there's there's quite a few others that are just advocating for so many things right so at a certain point that message almost becomes like I feel like the message gets lost a little bit for people at a certain level, right? I think your audience almost doesn't, not that they don't get what you represent, but they're like, oh, we really get what you're trying to represent. Like we Almost to the point where the message isn't heard to the same level. Do you feel that way or do you feel like it's heard more when you have more things to talk about?
0: The way that I see it is that I don't think you can care too much about people on the planet.
1: Okay a good answer and
0: so if there's something that you see and you have the time and the resources to do something about it I think that you should absolutely I also I've learned that how we treat people is how we treat the planet and so a lot of issues of social and environmental Mm. justice are inextricably linked Mm. so I believe like that advocating for gender equality will also help with climate policy because when we support women, we create like a path for leadership and when we have more women as like elected officials, we have better climate policy. Like the more we can take care of people and the more we can help with the enormous privilege and resources that we have, we should. Like, I don't think you can care too much.
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess it's, I don't think you can care too much either. I always just worry about the messaging that comes across and if it's effective enough, right? And I, I, I don't know if it's your job to be effective, or if you're, if it's your job just to care, or if it's your job in general to do any of it, or you just do it because you like it. And I, that's one of the things that I always look at when somebody has a social following, right? And they're an athlete slash influencer slash activist slash whatever. How are they putting that message across in the most effective way to their audience, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I think, um, that we have a lot deeper reserves than we know, and we should be speaking up and advocating on a lot more because there's a lot of inequity and there's a lot of like messed up things in the world. And if more people use their voices, we could change them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I like that answer. I like that answer a lot.
0: Yeah. I don't think you can care too much. <laughs>
1: I, I think that's great. I think that's uh, I think that's a beautiful thing.
0: We have a deep well of like love and I don't know, being concerned about the well-being of other people and the planet. Like a lot of beauty comes from that and a lot of connection and community. And like we all need more of that stuff.
1: Yeah. For someone that gets figuratively beat up on the Internet as much as you do, I you're very positive And this is uh, this is very nice to hear, I think. And it's nice to hear for people that you're like, this is I'm looking at the positive side of things and I care a lot like that's that's genuine and it feels genuine. Like it sounds genuine. And I think when you talk to somebody and you hear it, you can tell whether it's genuine or not. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it comes from my parents. My mom and dad are both doctors and like they've devoted their entire lives to trying to help their patients and to try to improve people's quality of lives. And so they were like, being a skier is not a career. Like you're not helping the world. And so I think that looking at ways that we can make the world a better place or at least like try to support other people's leadership on initiatives like the more we can do that the better yeah it's not like my mom is like it's not enough just to ski
1: (laughs) yeah I mean in a way she's right
0: (laughs) yeah and skiers like we have so many resources and privileges and with those I think come a huge responsibility
1: totally and I think it's ridiculous for people to assume that skiers don't do anything other than ski
0: Yeah. And it's super easy to like write a post and share a link or to do a fundraiser. Like all the, I feel like all the issues that I've engaged on, they've been really fun and they've connected me to different groups. And I'm really happy on a lot of the different issues that I've engaged on. Good. And I also think this stuff is all super connected and you don't just have to stay in your lane. Like, I think that's just, uh, I think that's some weird PR campaign designed to like, Oh yeah.
1: It's the dumbest you know, thing that's ever. Yeah. And I I'm glad that it kind of has gotten shut down a little bit, right? Like it's just like yeah. it's it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, okay. One of the last things I want to talk to you about, and then I'll let you get out of here. Uh there was a certain article that came out in a certain magazine. People probably know what I'm talking about, or they don't know what I'm talking about. Um The article referenced, first of all, let me just say, the article was not about what people made it about. And that's one of the things that I think we'll kind of get into a little bit here is most people did not read the article. They read a couple screenshots that people put out on the internet and then they made it about whatever they felt like it was about. And I think that's what caused the problem. But there was an article that called out a bunch of, they named them as the, the author named them as influencers as opposed to athletes, which I didn't love right off the bat. Um, Named a bunch of influencers and said that like we need to hold the title of the article is like how are we holding our outdoor influencers accountable or something like this right and then it goes and like kind of flames people for taking ppp loans during covid and that became this big thing where like everybody was attacking what everybody was doing at that time how they spent their money whether it was legitimate or not and then people like yourself kind of having to come out and be like what the fuck like why do i have to legitimize my own career right like why do i have to prove that i like this is this is crazy this whole situation is crazy and i thought that you would probably have something to say about the article that came out and i guess i obviously people know it came out in mountain gazette it's yeah i don't know i wasn't going to talk about the article that much and i haven't really talked about it that much since it came out and because of how much negativity was attached to it but I kind of want to hear your thoughts on it and what happened and how you perceived it right off the bat.
0: Yeah. Well, I was contacted by the journalist about the article in January and I just found like the tone and the way that he was, it kind of felt really antagonistic. And so I didn't respond (laughs) and I'm really bummed because like mountain gazette, like I have such a soft spot. I really believe in like like what the magazine is trying to do like to resurface this old school print magazine with like beautiful photography and high quality journalism like I really believe in supporting a free and independent press and like I subscribe and pay for a lot of different publications because I really respect the work of journalists. In this case, I felt like the journalist was really out of line and I was personally kind of like insulted and felt attacked by the way that he reached out to me. And like you said too, calling me an outdoor influencer, like I really despise being called. I don't identify as an influencer and I don't think anyone who sets out to become an influencer will actually become that because like having influence is about being a leader and like being a leader comes from different things, not trying to be an influencer.
1: Mm. That's a very
0: good point. That's my two cents. Like I've always like I'm a ski mountaineer and I'm an activist like that's and an adventure athlete like those are how I identify. So anyway, um, yeah, like it was one of my worst nightmares to be kind of like mob attacked like that online. Mm. I got a lot of really nasty comments and I was in Pakistan and I had like one hour of really slow satellite internet a day and, um, like It was really stressful for me and it was like kind of traumatizing because it opened a lot of wounds for me of like having my legitimacy and my credibility attacked Mm. yeah like this notion that i'm not real or like i paid my way to the top of the mountain or like i haven't really accomplished all the things that i have um there's just so many different ways that people in the outdoor community have tried to rewrite my accomplishments in the court of public opinion and I felt like this was another way of trying to delegitimize me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of people in that were mentioned in that article, one pretty much everybody that was mentioned did not respond. And my I guess my opinion and my thought on it was like, okay, if you didn't respond, that doesn't mean you should get flamed in a magazine. Right. Like that, that was to me, like nobody owes you a response to anything, but at the same time, if you guys respond, chances are you get left out of it. Right. So it's like, it felt like punishment to me for not answering an email. And to me, I, I felt a little weird about the framing of it. And I felt like it was kind of, the question is allowed to be asked. I don't have a problem with the question being asked, right? Like, are we holding people in the outdoors accountable for what they do, for what they spend? I don't really think that that's a problem to ask. What I had a problem with is the way that the line was drawn. And I told Ari this. uh, I think that the way that the article, the actual article, draws a line between uh, Mattia Snark or whatever her name is, uh, Brianna Mattia. Uh, Mattia Snark is the Reddit feed that all this stemmed from drawing that line to her like running over her own dog and not telling people about it and having a fundraiser for like that line to people taking PPP loans is a crazy line to draw to me like that that was like very bizarre
0: yeah and also I think it's important to differentiate that like I work for my own like S corp. Like I have an S corp called big mountain dreams and like I do all my business under that. So it wasn't like me as an individual taking that money. It was like my business took that money.
1: Right. Yeah. I guess. So that's one of the arguments that the people on the articles or on the publication side have said is like, Oh yes, there's one employee. There's two employees involved in this, in this company. Right. So technically you are taking that money, but it's like, That's, that's very different, right? Just because you're a single person doesn't mean that you're not a business. like, it's like you're, that you don't make business deals, business, and that's how you're supposed to do it.
0: Yeah. And my, like at the beginning of COVID, I lost like one of my biggest sponsors. They terminated all their athlete contracts and like a lot of my work, upcoming work just grinded to a halt. And it was really stressful for me. Like as a young person, I started my career in like the great recession of 2008. And it was grim when I started working Mm -hmm. in the outdoor world. Like it was really hard to get paid. Um, and so it like brought me back to that. And I was like going into full survival mode where I'm like counting cliff bars and like planning the backyard garden. So if we have to, if we like can't afford to buy groceries, (laughs) like we could grow them in the backyard, you know, like it was really stressful for me. And when COVID started, um, and then this whole like backlash that I got of people just going into my into like all the things of my life and being like, "Give us your Tesla! Like we own this car, and it's not <coughs> even my car! Like it's my husband's. He bought it, and we bought a used 2016 Model X for 40k." Like, yeah,
1: yeah, it's not like you like bought- we got
0: a really good deal on it. Like <laughs> we paid less than most people pay for like their regular vehicles. So it's not like we use I don't know Anyway it's his car It's not registered to me I just like to pretend it's my car But all these people are like Your Pakistani trip is paid for by the US taxpayer And it just made me so upset This like hate mob I got Because I also felt like The editor of the magazine And the journalist They knew that that was going to happen And I just feel like Mm. I felt really sad And I felt really angry I still feel angry about it and um, I felt like it was really inappropriate because what I do is legitimate and I've spent a lot of, you know, I've spent a lot of my life trying to get better and like to do a really good job. Like I take this stuff really seriously and I love my work and it's my passion. It's my whole life. And to have someone just dismiss my, the whole, everything I've created, it was really hurtful.
1: Yeah. A friend of mine, uh, Brooks Kern said t- to me that, we sh- we as creators or artists or skiers or whatever shouldn't have to legitimize our careers to anyone, right? Like that's our career is our career, and if we can make it, we can make it, right? Like that's the public, the court of public opinion does not get to decide if the way that you make your money is legitimate, right? Unless it's illegal, right? If it's illegal, yeah. like we're in a different we're in a different conversation. But if you can make a living doing something legal that you love doing, I don't I don't understand people's problem with it. And i definitely don't understand people's problem with it if like you followed the correct steps you did the right things taking ppp loans and i've said it on the show already like if i if we needed it and if we could have taken ppp loans as a business like i would have done it like but we didn't need it but it didn't affect us it actually COVID probably helped our business more than anything and like that was that's just a, uh, it's the reality of the situation and i just think that there's a certain lack of responsibility that I think happened with the way that that article was written that Mm -hmm. that made me a little uncomfortable and and it's tough because I like like you said I really like the magazine I think what they're doing is great in a lot of ways and I think that Ari's a great journalist uh, in in a lot of ways like I think he does a lot of great work if you look at some of the other things that he's done I just felt like being like not posting it after the amount of traction that it got online and the amount of hate that was being spewed to real people and impacting them in real ways in real life and then being like oh the only way that you can read the magazine is if you pay us money and you get the magazine seemed crazy to me but I don't know because the article wasn't fucking about that that's the whole thing like that's that's my
0: I know and I just wish all those people that were hating on us would take some of that energy and 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 pivot towards holding fossil fuel companies accountable for mm. the two, I think, billion, two billion, maybe. I can't, or is it trillion? I can't remember.
1: <laughs> A big number. <laughs> that,
0: that, that they took in subsidies from the American taxpayers last year. Um, I started looking at some numbers on that and the fossil fuel subsidies are ridiculous. The way that we are padding right. the pockets of big oil and keeping <sighs> us addicted to fossil fuels and yeah. so i wish people could take their energy and do something more positive with it um, yeah. that would actually have a good impact on the future of snow sports
1: yeah i agree and it, yeah y- we
0: need to end those subsidies not like yeah i have no problem with like having received that money and it really helped me get through those two months and to restructure my business and to yeah do what i needed to do to get through and survive
1: Yeah. And honestly, like, I think that part is not even super relevant. It was just weird. I think people don't understand what the loans were for, what they were designed for. And I also think that, like, everybody has a certain level of empathy towards a local business that they know that went out of business during COVID. Right. That couldn't make it happen even with a PPP loan or they didn't apply in the right way. So they got denied or whatever the reason is that things couldn't happen so people have empathy for those people and then they look at an athlete that makes it and that has a career and they go oh fuck you because you made it and this person didn't and i just think that's such a crazy scarcity mindset to have when things happen like at a much larger scale in such a negative way and yeah again let me be clear like i i in no way want any harm to come to the magazine i don't think that anything negative should happen to them like i i actually like what they put out Everybody makes mistakes. I mean, God knows I've made a fucking thousand mistakes on this show. Yeah. I just would have liked to see it handled differently is all. I
0: just, like, I feel like when Mike started the magazine, like, he reached out to me and I helped share it and, like, support it. And I was always a big champion for what he was doing. And so just on a personal level, I really wish he would have just... Got me on the horn before it went to print and be like, hey, we're about to run this. Like, you have a last chance as your friend. I'm calling you to see instead of like this crazy antagonistic email from Ari. Um, And so I guess like the whole thing, I don't want to talk about it too much because I'm trying to move on on a personal level. Um, No, it's okay. But yeah, I just, I was also. I felt like there was a layer of sexism as well as like the vast majority of the people that he spoke about were women.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it was like five out of six.
0: Yeah. I think he talked about Brody and Andrew Muse as well, but like he didn't like, I don't know. I don't know. It's just um, like, it
1: was weird. I thought the whole article, I actually really liked the article until it got to that point. Like until it got to that, like 10 sentences, I was like, why does this even need to be brought up? Because the line doesn't need to be drawn here. That's, yeah. yeah, it was, it was bizarre. I, yeah. And it, it just caused like two weeks of stress for so many people. And like, it was just maybe more, maybe more for you if I you're holding on so to it for a year.
0: I mean, I feel like it contributed to like my sickness in Pakistan because like, honestly, that kind of thing is just one of my worst nightmares. Yeah. And so it was so stressful for me to try to like, like people, that I know like people close to me were like texting me about how bad some of the meme accounts were about like putting my name in these meme accounts. And I couldn't like pull up anything because the Wi-Fi, it was literally like a 90s dial up connection. It was so slow. And so I was kind of freaking out. And then the stress on top of like all of the stress of being in Pakistan and being on like one of the biggest, hardest expeditions of my life. It was really tough.
1: I get it. I get it That is a It's difficult Anyway
0: I just wish They would have just I wish Mike would have just called me And I'd still love to chat with them about it Yeah
1: I guess that uh, That line of communication is open And I've offered Everybody basically The chance to just come on And talk about it as a group too If people wanted to talk about it And that offer still Kind of stands I'd like to move on from it myself But I yeah. didn't put out the Ari episode, so people have still been down my throat about like talk about it at some point. And I'm like, okay, fine, like everyone's going on, we'll talk about it. It'd it's, be,
0: it's not my favorite topic. It'd be
1: right avoidant now. to not talk <laughs> about it at all. So I tried to yeah. not do that. But anyway, um <laughs> let, let's end on a better note here. Um <laughs> what what do you have coming up? What's going on in the future? And obviously we're at the point in the season where everybody starts to freak out about the upcoming season and their big plans. Like, what do you have coming out in the fall? What do you have going on for the season that you have planned that you're excited about?
0: Yeah. Um, in about five weeks, my partner and I and his parents are going to Tanzania to climb Kilimanjaro. Sick. And so I'm really excited to do Killy with Rob's parents who are like in their 70s, like early and mid 70s. And to kind of, like, disrupt the narrative that, like, what we were talking about earlier, that right. <laughs> this kind of stuff is just for young people. Um, I think we can learn a lot about setting big goals, no matter how old you are, right. and about the aging process and aging gracefully. So I'm excited to spend some time on the mountain with his, with my in-laws and yeah. try to take them to 19,000 feet. <laughs>
1: that's nuts. That's uh, that's very cool. Um, uh, and, yeah, that is very... <laughs> very like what you just talked about and it's it's funny because i laugh at the idea of like okay like yeah you want to be 80 and you want to climb mountains and do that stuff but it's like it's very realistic like it's totally possible people do it now it's just that we don't think about it and they don't care to put it on social media
0: yeah, and you don't see, like, the 80-year-old mountaineer, like, on a billboard or in a magazine on the cover. But I think we need to change that.
1: I think they also just don't give a shit. Uh, there's probably a certain 80 point. 80-year-olds? I think they're probably, like, I don't, well, maybe. I mean, I don't know. Like, knowing mm. my 80-year-old grandparents, anytime they get any attention for anything they do, they're, like, like stress. <laughs> just overwhelming stress. And that's locally.
0: That could be internalized ageism.
1: Is that what you think it is?
0: i do i do think (laughs) that ageism is much more prevalent in our culture than we really think and um yeah we have a lot of stereotypes and attitudes and prejudice towards older people for sure and like what they're capable of and so yeah that's my dream is like to be maybe i'll have kids too and be like a parent that people think is really irresponsible (laughs) <laughs> when my partner and I like leave the kids for a month and go on expeditions, but I mean, I've always done things my own way, and like again, this has been my dream ever since I can remember, and I don't want to give it up just because I get to a certain age and people think I'm irrelevant.
1: Mm. Well, Caroline, I can't wait to read the headline in 50 years that <laughs> says Caroline like irresponsible parent or um, aging activist or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Like who knows? Um, where, where can people find you on the internet? Where can people send nice things your way on social media? Um, and anything else you have going on, feel free to feel free to plug.
0: Yeah. I'm always like trying to share calls to action about activism on Instagram. And that's probably the biggest way that I'm keeping, in touch with the world so just at caroline gleich g-l-e-i-c-h
1: awesome (laughs) thank you for the time caroline
0: yeah thanks so much for having me
1: of course